seems like every local in the valley here has a mountain bike. This sport is really exploding. I break the law. I ride an illegal trip. And it's getting away from the cops, the cars, the concrete. Those Abaka is a Chinese down here. Using snowboarders together on a run, you're looking for trouble. You know, they get on skis and they just think they can overcome the world. The more you around, the more you're going to find out. I like to think that death is out of the question. The life starts at 40 miles an hour. You ride the chairlift for two or three weekends and you have to go like climb hills all week just to be even with God, you know? Welcome to Mind the Track with Powbot and Trail Whisperer, ramblings from the skin track in winter, single track in summer, celebrating the core lords, and fostering the culture of mountain life in the Sierra Nevada and Great Basin. Today is August 20th, 2023, and you're listening to episode number 18. And by the way, thanks again for listening. Help us spread the word if, if you would. If you like what you're hearing, Please do us a favor and leave Mind the Track a rating and review and subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Got feedback or core lord we should chat with? Drop us a line at mindthetrackpodcast at gmail.com, at mindthetrack on Instagram, or just go to our website at mindthetrack.com. I am the Trail Whisperer, and with me here today, as always, is the professori of the Pow, the director of the Powder Intelligence Agency and the United Treaders of Snow, the summertime Lombat Powbot. Howdy ho. Howdy ho, brother. What's happening? Just getting some of the most unbelievably all-time incredible conditions ever today. <laughs> And recently, <laughs> I'm so fired up. Say it again, man. Oh, shit. Hero dirt. All, all the words. What are all the words for what we're experiencing? Chocolate cake, brownie batter, dark meat, hole mole, brown pow, hero dirt, dank dirt, ego dirt, Velcro. And then the little thing that you have on the rear triangle of your bike, the loam shelf or just the <laughs> loam collects. Oh my goodness. He just went through the encyclopedia of brown pow. <laughs> Yes, right. Yeah, all the conditions that you experience when you're getting midsummer rainstorms. Oh my God, it was so fun. It was really fun being on your tire and Matt Chapel's tire, like as close as I could get. No like, dust. Like, just no dust. Like, my nose was up your wheel. Like, I could smell the knobs of your tire. <laughs> <laughs> And just just ripping. It's so fun when those conditions come around. Tahoe's yeah. Tahoe's in a unique place like that. When we we all are say how it's fun to ride the loose conditions and it makes us a better rider. But when the brown pal comes around, it's a it is better. When the brown pal comes around, yeah. yeah. Trench Town Rock. I was singing. I was singing Bob Marley today. Uh huh. Oh, we were it all. Hits you. It hits the brown pal. Hits you good. Oh, you feel no pain. Yeah. The brown pow hits, you feel no pain. So with that, I think I, this is, I've been holding on to something. I've got a little treat for you, Kurt. Okay. Yeah, since you're, you know, you've been giving me good kudos with being the director of the, the p -p powder <laughs> intelligence agency. <laughs> and you really are the director of the dirt intelligence agency. Like that's the, 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 the director of the dirt intelligence agency. <laughs> so I've got our first little bit of mind the track, track swag. Oh really? Yeah. You got some swag? I got I got a I got to, this is a one off. So it's this is a one off and it's just for you. Cut. Oh wow. Oh my gosh. And he has it's, not whoa, what? It's, it's even it's even wrapped up for what you. What is this? Check it out. Is this a director 
It's a it's a DIA t-shirt, buddy. You oh. are you are the official president and director of the DIA. Oh my god, I gotta open this up and check this out. That is so cool, man. This is I should have gotten it in, in brown color, but it <laughs> <laughs> the color of the brown pow today. But yeah, oh, you, yeah. DIA. Oh, I'm I'm I this is official. Yeah, you're very official. I saw your DIA, your Dirt Intelligence Agency sticker uh, at a trailhead on one of the trail signs, and it looked super official. <laughs> yeah, it looked so, like somebody who didn't know better would look at that and go, "Oh, damn, the DIA's around. We better, we better keep our game tight up here." You know? Thanks, buddy. That's yeah, you're awesome. Welcome. Yeah. Heck yeah. Happy Happy Summer Brown Pow Day. Thanks, buddy. I'll I will wear this with pride. And puff out my chest so everyone can see the DIA on my chest. So they'd be like, oh, that guy's official in yeah, some respect. You're, 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 you're definitely fulfilling some official trail capacities with your new job. Yeah. <laughs> you just wear that shirt now. Yeah, actually, I wanted to mention, that was on my list of things to mention, was uh, the last few weeks has been a lot of time spent in the woods, free hiking and flagging new line, new trail. Um, we <laughs> what's, what's free hiking? <laughs> <laughs> it's so the only hiking I new, really is that a new sport? Yeah, the only hiking I really do is um hiking that involves off trail, you know, in, in adventures because I'm just looking for I don't really hike on conventional trails because every time I hike on a conventional trail, the only thing I think about is how awesome this would be to ride my bike. <laughs> yeah. I am not like I'm not just I don't really hike that much. I like to trail run. Um, I like but, to hike in the winter time. Exactly. Yeah. With, with sticks on my feet. Yep. <laughs> so I can rip so down. So I can slide back Yeah. Down. I need a reward of some sort. There's no real reward in hiking. It just, I mean, I guess the upside of hiking is, you know, things move slower. You can see more things. I do enjoy that, but I really enjoy hi free hiking and just hiking off trail. So mm -hmm. like, you know, when we're scouting new areas and new terrain for new trail, you know, we're just it's brush busting. I mean, it can be kind of screwed off. Sometimes you're going to get into like neck high brush and you're, you know, trying to stand on top of these six foot high, you know, walls of brush. Cause there's no way around it. Um, but you know, you just get to see more terrain and you get to see things that other people don't get to see and you find things. So like, I told you about that. Yeah, you found a really cool relic from yeah, I found lumber a days. Hundred plus year old cross cut two man cross cut saw, seven foot long. Like the teeth are razor sharp still. You could cut with it still. Just you know, like cool old pieces of history. I'm a huge history buff, so I love, you know, finding old stuff. Yeah. And so that was a huge score. Those things are big time valuable. Like they're coveted by collectors and by people who actually like trail crews like who work in wilderness areas who can't use a chainsaw for whatever ridiculous reason they're still living in the 1800s that's what they use they use these old cross-cut saw blades so that was really cool but we've been um you should name that section of trail crosscut that's what that's what i want to do so where I found it is in this zone in Boca, uh, east of Boca Reservoir between Truckee and Verdi, up on kind of like uh, Boca Ridge, Verdi Ridge. We're, we're building about 20 miles of single track out there right now. Um, and I've been reflagging the alignments. 
and uh, it's beautiful, man. The views are crazy. It's going to be, it's all moto, it's going to be moto legal trails. So you'll be able to ride and hike and ride a horse, like all uses of allowed. Right. And um, the terrain is crazy cool. Um, and it's close to town, you know, it's going to be um, a great asset for Verdi and, and Truckee and like everyone in that region, um, because it's going to help take some of the traffic and pressure off of the tra- trails in town. Cause it's still pretty close to Truckee. Yeah. Um, and then immigrant trail sees a lot of use. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is going to be a level, you know, immigrant trails are pretty like, you know, mellow kind of like in, beginner intermediate level trail this is definitely more advanced the terrain and everything but then i've been spending a lot of time out in loyalton we're flagging 60 miles of new proposed trail between loyalton sierraville and little Truckee summit and then we've got 15 miles of trail ready for construction on verdi ridge that's going to connect the boca stuff north and then we just got funded for planning on up to 40 miles of trail off the west face of Peavine going down towards the California-Nevada border into Dog Valley. Wow. So in the next five to 10 years, there's going to be 150 miles of new trail between Verdi, Truckee, Loyalton, and Sierraville and Little Truckee Summit in that zone. Bring it. So it's been awesome hiking around out there and, and uh, you know, finding, finding new zones to build really awesome trail for people. Cool. So yeah, that's what I've been on bits to. of history and creating new memories. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's exciting for the area. I'm, I'm fired up to let you build it. <laughs> come around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's I'll come open it up. Definitely fun. I mean, getting paid to ride my dirt bike and my mountain bike to get out to these spots and then go hike around all day. It's kind of a dream job. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yep. So what were the flags? Like what kind of, is it just like little yeah, it's like pieces roll, of rolls of fluorescent, you know, tape, you see them in the woods. Yeah. I've seen them before. Yeah. So that's what you're doing. Flagging alignments. Yep. And then we map it. Right. So you can kind of use your, use your GPS unit and then find the flagging and follow the flagging and then map it and, and map it. And, and then, then can you, you can look at what the grade, the gradients are. And yeah, we use clinometers run that, run that all through some fancy computer program. Yeah. Well the ground, so we we're, what we're doing is calling ground truthing. So someone puts Ooh. a line on a map but they don't know what the terrain looks like. They're like, this should go, but we don't know. You don't really know it'll, if it'll go until you're actually on the ground hiking it because it could be like impossibly like rocky terrain or incredibly brushy or you know, just like, uh-huh. you just don't know what you're gonna run into or cliffs out on you or, or you know, so you have to actually get on the ground and actually get eyes on it to see if it'll actually work in reality. Cool. Have yeah. you seen much wildlife? out in that zone um actually haven't seen a ton of wildlife um but evidence uh, evidence of wildlife everywhere it's big deer country it is a lot of deer deer herd comes right through there yep yeah there's a lot of deer um i mean bird idea it's funny all the game worth hunting you know the bucks and stuff they're smart dude they hang out in town in Verdi. They don't, they're not, a, I've been like riding up in the hills and I'll see a hunter walking around. They're like, Hey, have you seen any uh, deer or any bucks walking around up here? And I'm like, Oh yeah, I've seen a bunch of them. And they're like, where? And I go, Oh, they're all in town. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> Cause there's, they, they, they're smart. They know yeah, until they have to, until they have to move. No. And then they go up in the hills up when hunting season's over. <laughs> Cause they know when hunting's, 
They know in hunting season, got a calendar. like my buddy Bob, dude, last year he got pegged by a hunter, and it was right in October. So I stay in town during October, November, and then I'll head back up there in December, January. <laughs> well, it's a it's a super historical migratory route, though. The verdi deer herd is huge. Mm-hmm. I, I, it is, uh, and it's uh, been threatened, and you know, there's so much development going on, and um, it's they're kind of running out of terrain to play in. Yeah. Um, and people may, may not may not know this, but the out by the ag check on 80, there is a uh, tunnel under 80 there. Yep. That allows the genetic flow of the mm-hmm. verdi so that northern california deer mm-hmm. can actually get their genes down south yep and yeah. that's super cri- critical to the to the health of the the deer yep and then that's what the, the native americans used to the washout used to follow that deer herd up that's how they ended up in trocay trocay and people don't know and i think some people probably know that story but mm-hmm. you know that's that the chief you know was trocay mm-hmm. and was when he first met the first white people that came through, they, they were doing their meet and greet and he was saying Troquet and they're like, Oh, this is Troquet. And they're like, Oh, you're telling us where we, we where we can own now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what does and, that mean in native? It was, it, it is it uh, a Washoe word? I, I think so. I think it was the chief's name. Yeah. I think the chief was introducing himself and saying, me trokay mm-hmm. and you are you know like the trail whisperer and they were like oh you mean you just told us what our new town is going to be called Let's wasn't it originally it. called uh gray's crossing i'm not sure or coburn station that's i think coburn what it was St- called okay yeah anyway we're diving into history we don't know anything yeah, we, about we, gotta have, we, gotta <laughs> we need have, to do more research yeah, before we start just i'm no spewing off expert about- but I like talking about it. I, I am El Nino, <laughs> <laughs> which is Spanish for. I know, I know, I know. I am El Nino. <laughs> All other tropical storms must bow before El Nino. <laughs> well, we should die, we should actually since we are weather nerds, let's it, get into that. That this is a big story. There's been a lot of weather happening. Big, yeah, big story right now is this um, literally just made landfall, Hurricane Hillary in Mexico, in Baja. It's heading due north into Southern California and into Nevada, and it's going to hit us here in Tahoe. And it's going to be like catastrophic amounts of flooding and rain, and definitely in Southern California and Southern Nevada. In the desert. Yeah, in the desert. I mean, they're going to get an entire year entire year's worth of rain in 24 hours and it's i'm afraid to see what the result is going to be of that because the train down there is just not set up for that kind of impact yeah we've been having some some bummers lately i'll even rewind it a little bit more to the, the last hurricane and that weather event that just absolutely demolished maui and give a shout out to everybody over there yeah and uh if, you know if listeners have a connection with maui or maybe spent their honeymoon there like you did Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and, and, and want to help them out. I, I as as I've been following it, pretty much the best thing to do is is um, uh, there's an organization called Maui Strong. Uh, the Maui Strong Fund is pretty much the best thing. I, I follow Ian Walsh on Instagram, who's a professional snowboarder, professional surfer first, but he's also a really good snowboarder. And uh, both of his brothers are firemen over there, and he's been posting some good information on on how you can help out. And I think Maui Strong is the the is the best way people can f- funnel some funds. And help everybody out on Maui because it's like that was just terrible. 
I, I, I listened to this, uh, New York times daily, um, episode, um, about this, uh, resident, um, and his experience in that. And it was just horrific. I mean, what happened in that town in Lahaina was, is just unbelievable. I can't even, I can't even begin to imagine because it happened so fast. It it's literally came out of nowhere, no warning, no heads up. It, it was, and all of that was wind driven, right? So yeah. there was a hurricane passing to the South of Hawaii and it was the, um, it was the longest lasting, I have a, I have some detail here on this. It was the longest lasting hurricane in the Pacific, I think maybe ever as far as its trajectory and how long it like the ran li- for. The life of it. The life of it. Wow. And it created the winds that, you know, blew from out of the east westbound and Lahaina is on the, you know, the west it's on the west side, of, side of the island and the winds came down the mountain. And just like they did in Santa Rosa, when yep. Santa Rosa had their really bad fire. Yep. It was awkward, and paradise, awkward winds in paradise. Same thing. It's an yep. east wind event. Out of the east. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you know Lahaina in that area, the terrain above Lahaina to the east is just like grasslands and like super dry, like higher elevation. It's not like super wet on that island, on that, especially that part of the island. So man and you know residents there have feared this forever this was always been their biggest fear was the was the town burning um wow. the fire risk has always been pretty real this is not like a recent war. well that hits home to us here in tahobies that's always that's our fear like yeah we we have a similar situation we don't have the water to our outside we have the water to the inside yeah with one road in sort of one road out yeah around parts of tahoe we have too many tourists just like they did and everyone got stuck yeah. trying to escape. Yeah. And you yeah. want, and you wonder why people in Tahoe are questioning more development. Right. So I just uh, bring that one up. If you feel like helping out, throw, throw some money to Maui strong and also throw yeah. some effort into maybe thinking about what your, what fire plans in Tahoe look like. Yeah. So you it's have a real one, you have all these um, kind of seemingly crazy things that are happening. So you've got, you know, that hurricane out in the Pacific that, created that fire situation you've got this hurricane that's hitting southern california and it's going to create catastrophic flooding you have um this crazy heat dome in the midwest and in Mm -hmm. in like the heartland in texas it's going to be 110 degrees in minnesota i mean that's like that's insane it's unheard Mm -hmm. of and then you know we talked in previous episodes about like the historic flooding in vermont and then the winter that we had here in tahoe and like, there are all these crazy seem, you know, seemingly crazy weather events that are happening. And man, I'm going to say it. I've said it a few times. I'm going to say it, it again. Let's, let's hear it. <laughs> Honga Tonga. Honga Tonga, the Honga Tonga, the volcanic eruption. It was a huge event. You know, it happened in January of 2022 and I, you know, I did a little bit of, cause I don't want to just talk out the side of my mouth. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about because I really don't. But, um, I was doing some reading, uh, this guy, Sergei Kaken, a scientific researcher at Sorbonne university in France. Um, I read this kind of research brief that he wrote about this about volcanic eruption. eruption. And it said, you know, it's possibly the largest natural explosion on the planet in the last century. It created a sonic boom and a massive tsunami. It sent 150 million tons of water vapor into the stratosphere, seven miles above Earth's surface. Uh, it increased stratospheric water mass content by 13%. 
um, the massive ejected water, injected water into the atmosphere equated to the discharge of the Amazon River. You know, uh, in four hours, the volcanic cloud grew to the size of Germany and then circumnavigated Earth in one week. And, you know, usually volcanic eruptions, they cool the earth because, you know, if you have sulfur dioxide that gets put into the atmosphere. And then it, and then it blocks and then the, it blocks sun the sunlight. Reflects. But this, because it was water vapor, it, it creates humidity and it war actually warms the earth. And so, you know, July 2023 just so happens that it was the hottest month in global temperature record dating back to, the, to 1880. To me, that is just, I, that's beyond coincidence, right? Like we've had this major weather event. Well, how come, how come we like a couple podcasters from Tahoe or bike and ski bums are like, we're the only ones talking about it. It's I not, don't know. On the, it's not on the news. It, it's, I mean, there are people picking up on it, but like, it's definitely not on the major news channels. I just don't, I just don't know if it is, mm. I guess as sexy as saying that, you know, this is all, this is like human caused global climate change. I mean, do we have an effect on the climate? Of course, but it's, it's when it compared to the sun and a, and a massive volcanic eruption, it's negligible. Like we could be vaporized. And if an asteroid hit this planet, we'd all be vaporized in a matter of a day. So just ask the dinosaurs. Exactly. And I'm not saying that what we do is not significant or that, you know, human induced climate change is a hoax. It's, I don't believe that. But what I do believe is that there are natural things that happen that far eclipse our impact. And we should recognize these things because yeah. they're real things. This is like this volcanic eruption is creating a lot of these crazy weather things that we're seeing. It's too coincidental, right? They're all lining up one after another. And you look back over the last 18 months as, as to like a possible source. And here's one of the largest explosions in recorded history that happened to be under the ocean. What kind of, that's gotta have some kind of an impact on our weather patterns. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's pretty wild to watch all this crazy stuff going down. Cause I think it's all connected. Yeah. It's a, it, there's a feedback loop happening. And I think that's, you know, you read the news and, and watch news and whatever, and every sort of awkward, awkwardly different climate scenario that we're having right now is they immediately point the figure to climate change. Right. But I think there's an association, but it's definitely as an association of a feedback loop. Right. You know, you can't, it's not saying that it's just, I don't, I think that it's not, you can't say definitively that it's global warming, but it is affecting the, these outcomes. But I think yeah. that there's, there's a bigger thing at play. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There hasn't been a tropical storm in Southern California since 1939. Yeah. 39. This is, the, right. and this is the first time in our lifetime that we've seen a, a hurricane come ashore in California. Yeah. It was kind of a bummer that it didn't kick up more surf. It was a little bit, there was a little bit of surf. Has there been, well, yeah, didn't there was, our buddy Storm said that he went down to the coast. He's, 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 surf, he's surfing like did, windswell from the north. Oh, he's, it's north it's, windswell? Oh, it's not even from the south. The, that, the swell from this hurricane from Hillary, like it, it was too steeply angled and didn't make it into northern or central oh, California. Okay. It, it, I, like Trestles had a little bit of surf. Because uh, it's too south, out of the too out of the south. Yeah, it was too south, southeast yeah. almost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Southern California got a little bit of swell yesterday, and then it just came ashore in a big, big flurry of storm surge. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, 
Well, so that brings up the, you know, the topic of we started this whole diatribe on what? the El Nino, like <laughs> I am El, El Nino. El Nino. So you know, I mean, that's why this hurricane's happening. Though well, the, the ocean temps are right. so warm. Ocean temps are warm, and the trade winds aren't like set up like they normally are. Yeah. So, is that? I mean, it seems to me that we're going to have an El Nino winter, and what does that mean for Tahoe historically? Like, I'm, do we get hammered with? precip or are we kind of is it 50 50 or again it's an out i think i think the math on it is it's pretty much about a 50 50 but that other 50 that is above average are huge yeah right. so we can get walloped because 97 the winter of 96 97 when like reno flooded and like you know yeah, all of the Truckee meadows was underwater that was an el nino winter right yep i just i kind of yeah. remember my last however you know i can't we could look back and see them see the data on it but the last couple of El Ninos in Tahoe have just sort of been okay mm -hmm. the, the La Ninas have been the big ones huge yeah have right been the, you know the couple of really big years have been La Ninas yeah uh but I don't know I mean are there, are there signs of, of a big winter coming have you seen any signs of a big winter um the only thing that I I like to attribute to signs of a big winter are really pissed off bees and hornets that like sting like middle of middle summer late summer i don't know what it is but they get real attitudinal and they just start yeah. stinging you i've been stung a lot this year i got stung a couple days ago yeah through through my shirt yeah so that's kind of always my or like a lot of dead squirrels on the road you know because they're getting run over by cars because they're constantly running like crazy little animals yeah. storing their nuts up for a big winter um, well, but the, the farmer's almanac came out with their prediction. And what and is their prediction? Sort of saying it's a, the whole North America is going to have a cold, like cold and wet for hmm. everybody. There really wasn't a dry spot on their map. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. What other, what are, what are, do you have sign like I, I, any... I have a couple, but I, I, I'm going to, I think I'm going to run a by a couple of the ones that the farmer's almanac bases there. Okay. Their, their, their predictions off of, but I, the, the 20 signs of a hard winter from them are, are pretty funny. Uh, uh, thicker than normal corn hus. Okay. Which I don't think we can really chime in on that yeah, one. I don't live in Iowa. I am, but maybe someone back in <laughs> Iowa could, uh, wood, woodpeckers sharing a tree. I don't know what that that means oh interesting uh early arrival of the snowy owl early departure of geese and ducks i have seen that i've mm -hmm. seen some migratory birds cruising around for okay. sure okay uh i've seen this i've been I, I i'm with you on the bees and the squirrels i've seen that yeah uh heavy and numerous fogs during august we're having one it, right now i was gonna <laughs> it was pretty foggy today at the top of Mardis. holy moly uh this was a good one. Raccoons with thick tails and bright bands. Oh, we're going to have to get <laughs> I haven't ask, gotten close yeah, enough to want to be ask, able to tell. We're going to have to ask Raccoon, <laughs> Raccoon Rory if that's true this year. Have you seen that dude on Instagram? Raccoon Rory? Yeah, yeah Raccoon Rory. No, what's Raccoon Rory's he's, deal? He's just, he loves raccoons. <laughs> it's actually a good Instagram follow. <laughs> uh, mice eating ravenously, ravenously into the house and... That huh. one was true this spring. Okay. We had, we had mice issues in Tahoe. Uh, early arrival of crickets on the hearth. Hmm. What does that remind you of? Well, all I can think of is the Mormon crickets out in Nevada, Boom. but that's an annual thing. That's not whether that's like, that's becoming like a regular thing. 
or it always has been. It's, I think it's cyclical, but no, it's every year. Talk okay. about it. Well, moving on spiders spinning larger than usual webs and entering the house in great numbers. Mm. I can't say that that one's I, spiders have been pretty normal for me. Yeah. Uh, Pig, <laughs> this is a good one. Pigs gathering sticks. Pigs gathering sticks. Yeah, we need a pig. We need a pig farmer to call in <sighs> on that one. A pig uh, sticker. Insects marching a beeline rather than meandering. Oh, I saw that the other day. Okay. A big one. That's a good one. Ants. Sure. Billions of ants in one line. In one line. In Are one you serious? Yeah. Put walking a check. across my front yard. Put a check mark on that one. Then uh, early seclusion of bees within the hive. I don't know what that means. I guess they're just, they, they'd be hunkering down, but, uh, in unusual abundance of acorns. That was the one growing up in the Midwest that whenever we had big acorn years, mm -hmm. it'd be like, Ooh, it's a big winter coming. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Did, yeah. The, the oak trees would put out a bunch did of that correlate. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, what else we got there? Not my, nah, these, the rest of these are not, the squirrel gathers nuts early to f the fortify against the hard winter. That's what you were talking about. Ooh, this is a good one. Frequent, frequent halos or rings around the sun or moon for forecast numerous snowfalls. Huh. So keep an eye on the, 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 the halos. Stare at the sun. Yep. And I'm, and I've got, <laughs> and as you mentioned the squirrels, I've got one more to add this, add to this one, because I, I want to talk about it a little bit because it, I think it plays into the end of this. Um, but you know, since we've started this pod, I always sort of scour the national news to see whenever Tahoe or the, our, our, our home base here for the podcast, whoever makes the national news. Yeah. And we made national news recently. The LA times wrote an article, uh, about interactions between cars and bears. Huh? And they basically, the bear, like bears they, are driving cars now. <laughs> I th they can break into them. So I, I figure they just figured out right. how to start it and put it in gear. In Unfortunately, no, because I think the bears would be safer. But what the, the, gist, yeah. of, the gist of the story was over they, humans. They, they talked to the lady from the Bear League. And it sounds like that we've had a sort of like a, an epidemic of bear car accidents in Tahoe this summer. Hmm. There's been 20 bear fatalities and about another 20 that have been injured. Wow. And there's probably a bunch more that weren't reported, but they're calling for the, the article said that there was 20 bear deaths and wow. it's people driving around and not paying attention and boom, you hit a bear. And I, 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 I break, it's wild because I actually saw a, the other night driving home from work, I came through Kings beach and I saw the biggest Brown bear I've ever seen just waddling down the sidewalk, pretty close to the roundabouts in KB. And I, a ride. He, he was just cruising and like, I, you know, caught him out of the corner of my eye and was like, Oh my God, that's a big bear. <laughs> like, just waddling through KB. But wow. I think we're, I'm going to add that one to the list that, that, uh, you know, interactions with bears in in Tahoe yeah. might be a sign of a big winner. And well, unfortunately yeah. those, those interactions have not been good on their part. So I just want to give a little PSA to, to the bears in Tahoe. They were here first. Do ever do your part. Don't leave your garbage out do everything you can do to protect the bears. And if you see a bear, there might be another one. Slow down. Yeah. If you see mama bear, don't hit baby bear. Because that, that's, that's was sort of the gist of the story was that there were, there were some accidents where a bear was sighted, but then they didn't see the other bear. Huh? Which now, is too is bad. This, now you mentioned to me, there's a new, uh, there's a new, uh, program they're implementing as you enter the Tahoe basin on the freeway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
Can you yeah, tell me more about this don't new program? About, you don't know about the brain check? No, I haven't heard about brain so checks. This is like a chain check, but like for brains? Yes, it's it's the next... Well, typically the the chain check is down at Blue Canyon, but then sometimes it moves up, up 80 a little ways. Yeah. And then just past that like high point where the highest chain check normally is. Right. Just after that, there's a brain check. There's out. There's also one in in Colorado on the I seventy corridor. That's just before I, I initially found out about it there. Okay. Because the people would come up from Denver. Yep. And then there was this secret exit before the Eisenhower Tunnel that they would get flagged off mm -hmm. and they would pull over. And there was a nice you know person that worked you know a little state agency that worked the brain check. Okay. And and you. The, the person would take their brain out of their head oh. and put it in a basket Ooh. and then get a number, just like, like a code check at a concert. Okay. Yeah. And then they go through the tunnel and here it's, they go over down or something. So we have zombies in Tahoe. Is that what you're saying? Oh, it's to, <laughs> some people call them kooks or, <laughs> or lair. Are they better off without their brain? I, no, <laughs> they're not. <laughs> Because it could go either way, I because feel like. Some of these people, maybe they're better without a brain. They're operating know. a moving vehicle. Yeah. And that's that's part of, you know, why we have traffic issues and, you know, the brain check. It's, it's, Son it's, of a gun. It's, it's part of the Palisades junk show. Yeah. Is that administered by Caltrans too? Are they also doing the brain check in addition to chain check? They're... Or? they're, <laughs> they're or is they're, there a brain brain police? I think they're who a, are the brain police? They're they're a partner. They're a partner. Caltrans is a partner. Uh huh. I don't know who the brain police are, but yeah, Frank Zappa always asked that. Who oh, are the brain police? That was a song of his. Who are it? the brain police? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to look that An one. Old out. Zappa reference for all those Zappa fans out there. Yeah, well, hope I don't offend anybody. I probably did. <laughs> Dry, the people who drive up over eighty, but yeah, I've always joked that there is a hidden hidden exit brain check at times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. well moving on moving on from that what's next on your list to discuss because we have some really fun topics so i get dude i have some pro tips to dive into. so pro you, tips let's do that one uh you know because you and i come from two different camps you're in you're in the uh the the ride it dirty camp okay uh they see me rolling. They <laughs> riding dirty, baby. Patrolling and trying to oh. I got to play the parody of this. Yeah, you're, you're. I have a parody of that song that I did, but anyway, we're gonna ride dirty. We're gonna save that for another yeah, segment. Yeah, yeah. But you, you come from the ride and dirty segment. I kind of picked up on this in the since we've been riding a bit this summer. But yep. you, you don't wash your bike. Not that much. No. Uh, I don't. And why don't you wash your bike? Um, I washed my bike for a long time um, because when I got my first mountain bike when I was 13 years old, uh, my brother and I, when I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, my brother and I would go ride our, we had like rigid giant Rincons, like just chromoly steel, you know, like basic, like rigid bikes. And we would go uh, what we called mudding. We go mudding. And so there were these trails, these ATV trails, not far from our house. Uh -huh. We would drive, ride over the Ohio River, over this big bridge and to the other side of the Ohio River and ride our mountain bikes on these ATV trails and just 
big freaking mud holes, dude, huge mud holes to see if we could mud ride through them without falling over. So we'd, <laughs> we would ride through these huge mud holes and like our bikes and our clothes, we were just like, we would come home, look like- It was like a badge of honor. Dipped in mud. Yeah, totally. Top to bottom, like dipped in mud. And my dad was always like, you guys are ruining your nice, beautiful bikes. What the hell? Wash your bike. And, and it was like a badge of honor. Yeah. We'd like ride our bike down to the tennis court and our bikes were just like caked in mud. Cause we were just like, yeah, man, we, we go mudding, you know? <laughs> so I, I was riding dirty from day one, you know? And, um, but then like I, I, I went to like ride one day and the bike just wouldn't move because it was so caked and rusted with mud and water and stuff. I was like, okay, maybe I should like maybe clean my bike. So I went through a phase where I cleaned my bike like pretty religiously and took it apart a lot. And you know, like back in the day, man, bikes were way simpler. Except they didn't have you all could the cut, pivots. You could take them down and put them back together pretty fast. Nowadays, man, there's so much more complexity to a bike, especially a full suspension bike with links and all this other stuff. And I'm just like- And bearings. And bearings. And, and so um, in Downeyville, uh, you know, like the guys at Yuba Expeditions who I used to work with, um, the mechanics there, Evan and John and Mason, they they actually like, they, cause they were dealing with a demo fleet, right? So they'd have bikes coming in and going out every single day, people were renting bikes, taking the shuttle and they would always wash the bikes. And then they realized like, every day we wash these bikes and we're constantly having to replace pivot bearings and stuff's dry, uh -huh. like stuff's getting dried out or rusted or not working or creaking or making noise. And so what they ended up doing was not washing the bikes at all and just blowing them off with a com compressed air and then maybe wiping them down or taking like a spray bottle and a rag and just like, you know, cleaning it up real, but like a dirty clean, like a quick and dirty clean, like, air compressor, spray bottle, rag. And they were finding that the bike would go all season with way less maintenance required. Yep. And so I was like, hmm, there's something to that. So then I just started, you know, doing the same thing, like ride the bike and come home and it's like covered in dust. And I just blow it off with the air compressor and maybe like clean up a couple little spots, but like not we used to back in the day, dude, we used to take it to like the car, you know, the, the spray and wash, the, the do it yourself <laughs> car wash with a freaking high pressure hose. It's just like, and dude, you just destroy your bike. That's what you're not supposed to That's do. That's not, yeah, you don't do that. Don't do that. So I'm, I'm, I, I am from the clean camp uh -huh. side of things, but I definitely for years always did the air compressor and then would hand wipe it down. And then this, this early June, I, I am guilty of washing my bike a bit. Uh huh. And lo and behold, boom, I had to do a bearing kit. Really? Yep. It, it was just seizing up on yeah, you or I, making noise or I, what? I, had a, I chased a creek. Yeah. I had the dreaded creek. Yep. Brought me all the way back to my sort of first mountain bike experiences when I got a Santa Cruz blur. I was going to say, I thought you used a, <laughs> a creek and dale, Cannondale. Yeah. Uh, the, the creek and fail. Creek and fail. That was what they used to call it. So my first, and fail. my first, I had a track and then I got a Santa Cruz blur. Uh-huh. And the bike was amazing. It's really what brought me into the fold with mountain biking. But that I did, it would get creaky. Yeah. And then I'd have to call Stubby and he'd come over and be like, yeah, your bearings are screwed. And he'd change the bearings out and then it would work again. And so anyway, I had a creek on my, on my Amish bike 
and sort of chased it for a while and you know went thought it was maybe the seat or the seat post and then started going other places maybe the pedals and then it finally got to the point where i was like all right i gotta break into the suspension here and found out that i had a couple seized bearings Mm -hmm. and i think it was from washing the bike yeah yep so So what's your pro tip then my pro tip is it's it's dirty it's riding dirty Yeah. Well, I, I think, no, pro tip is use an air compressor and then yeah. hand wipe it down. Yeah. My buddy, Ben, I'll give Ben Whitney a shout out because he's like the fastest dude in the world. Ben with two ends there. Yeah. Ben. Two and Ben. Two and Ben, man. The dude just shreds <laughs> on a mountain bike. And he, but he rides clean. His bike is always just he, his. Yes. His, I noticed that about he's him. He's such a gearhead. Yep. And, but he keeps his bike super clean, but he doesn't wash it really. It's all hand wiped down. Mm-hmm. He's like, I think he uses rubbing alcohol means it just immediately evaporates mm. mm-hmm. which kind of makes sense yeah uh but yeah i think it's somewhere in between is yep. the pro tip I, but no, don't, I agree. don't wash your bike don't, don't spray yeah. it down yeah yeah keep it dirty baby he said it's you know I, I lost my amish bike because i had to do the bearing kit and i'm not i'm not skilled enough to do that so i had to sub it out so i brought my bike to the shop and didn't get it back for like almost two weeks interested in your bicycle Contact me ASAP. Hmm. Hi. Which bike are you interested in? Yes, the bicycle. I pay top dollar. Hmm. Right, but I have a couple for sale. I can wire you $4,000 now. Just give me your bank account and social security number? I don't even know who you are. I am Nigerian Prince? Serious buyer? There's a better way to buy, sell, and rent used outdoor gear. Sendy, a new peer-to-peer online marketplace backed by Cam Zink and Travis Rice. Built by athletes for athletes, Sendy is committed to providing the outdoor community with a high-quality hub for high-quality gear. Sendy provides a safe platform for buying, selling, and renting, making sketchy meetups with shady characters and seedy parking lots a thing of the past. Sendy uses integrated and discounted UPS rates, QR codes, and print-ready labels, shipping anywhere in the U.S., with Canada coming soon. Download the app today for free at the Apple Store, Google Play, or visit sendy.io. Buy it, sell it, rent it, and send it with Sendy, charter partner of Mind the Track. Now, back to the show. You say, so Amish bike, what were you talking about here? That's the pedal bike. Oh, yeah. It's the no, pedal bike. No, no motor. Like the muscle bike, the, the muscle push bike, bike push the bike. Amish bike. What do you call it? I mean, I call it the Amish bike, but I was just getting ready oh, to okay. segue into yeah, the next got, bit. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. We got a preface. We got a preface why, why we call it the Amish bike. Yeah. Because it goes back to the roots. Like being a little kid blasting through mud, mud bugs on your bmx bike yeah yeah the amish bike is you know they don't they don't have electrification so they use the traditional bicycle but then it's very you got your new fancy dancy e-bike and last weekend we were riding with our friend noah silverman and i think he had heard maybe i think it came up because you had said amish bike and he started laughing and he's like so then what the hell is your e-bike a rumspringer <laughs> what the hell is this now? <laughs> oh, my. is this ABBA? I went to outer space on my Rum Springer. Rum 
Is that... <laughs> is that seriously ABBA? No. Oh, it's not? It kind of sounds like ABBA. Uh, I, don't, I don't know who it was, but dude, it's so, probably some Amish it, it, band. Ex, explain, so yeah, Noah called me out and said I was on a Rumspringer. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you, and you immediately said they should name a, an e-bike that. Somebody out there who works for a bike company listening to this, please name your next e-bike the Rumspringer. I mean, it's, it's like so the perfect true. name for an e-bike. So I'll, I'll say that. So he, he called that out and I fully embraced it. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have my, I don't have my Amish bike this, this week. It's been raining every day. I'm just going to smash this e-bike <laughs> and go do a bunch, you know, go have fun at the brothel and do a bunch of brown powder up my nose. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. I went on a Rumspringer. So explain to the listeners who don't know or not familiar with Pennsylvania Dutch. It's German. The origin of the word is uh -huh. originally German and it's to, it's to, I think, go for a walkabout. Okay. And it is, <laughs> I think there's a, a show, there's been a couple documentaries and shows on, on yep. TV on this because it's a fascinating sort of thing to look at. But the, in, in the Amish culture, when, when the boys and now I think the, 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 the ladies are also claiming equity and saying they need to have their rum sprang as well, <laughs> but they, they'll leave like the community and go goats so their royal oats yeah, or whatever well, no they'll just go ride an e-bike <laughs> they actually literally go ride well, an yeah e -bike. I mean, that's that'd be one i haven't had any electrification my whole life no they're not allowed. electric bike they're not allowed they're not they they yeah. are fully non-motorized culture so they go out and they they go to vegas and they go to concerts and they have a good time and they froth out on an e-bike <laughs> like i did <laughs> yeah and then, and then, and then the idea is then that they realize that, you know, the, the, the outside world isn't as maybe great and that there's pitfalls to it and that, yeah. and that the culture at home is actually where they should be. Yeah. And that's, you know, where I, I came home today. I came back to the Amish, yeah, the Amish back. ways. I was on the Amish bike again today. How did it feel? You know, it, it, I want to get your feeling on like going back from the e-bike back to the Amish bike. Mm -hmm. How does that feel? I'm not having any issues with that because yeah. I, I've always had a pretty big quiver in the snowboard world mm -hmm. and I ride a very vast array of, of snow craft. Yeah. And same thing with surfing. I've got everything from a nine foot long board down to like a six, two short board. Yeah. So I've always sort of embraced different, different sort of tools for, for whatever it is that I'm getting myself into. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this summer is the, you know, the first year I've ever had two bikes. I've always just had one mountain bike. I've, I've been a you know believer in just having the the all mountain do it all bike. Yeah, uh, and never had. I've, I haven't had a road bike since high school. Yeah, but uh, having the two, I've had no issues switching back and forth. Yeah, they're they're pretty similar bikes. I think. Yeah, uh, the geometry is pretty similar. The 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 feel of the bike is you know obviously the e bike is a little bit slower and heavier, uh, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm fully embracing the feeling of it. Yeah. 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 I've, I put myself in the, in flow state pretty easily on, on both bikes right now. Yeah. I don't yeah. have a problem going back and forth either. I, yeah. I mean, it, I, I think the first couple of pedal strokes when you're on your Amish bike, you're like, Ooh, I don't have that nice little kick in the, in yeah. the rear to help me. But at, within five minutes, you're like, mm, I don't care. It's nice to not have that noise. And it's nice to just, I mean, I grew up, spent my whole life riding a non electrified yeah. mountain bike. So there's that feeling and sensation not only of you know earning it 
But just going downhill, I mean, you definitely can pop that bike around a lot more easily. It's super fun to descend. You know, e-bikes go downhill really well, but I, I still think a mountain bike is a better, like it's more fun. I think it depends on the conditions. If it's yeah. super loose, the e-bikes are better because they have more, they can grab more traction. But on a day like today, we rode today up in Martis and holy moly, it, it must've rained two inches in the last couple of days, at least two to three inches of rain. I mean, it was insane. It was perfect. It was the best conditions I've yeah. ever experienced on in, in Tahoe. And it's mid August, man. It's usually blown out and hot this time of year. And it was cloudy and dank and cool and wet and just on, and the parking lot, holy crap, dude. It was like a pow day at Palisades. <laughs> it was a pow day at Palisades. It was crazy. I Crazy. think I saw like five different groups of friends that all decided to descend on when there the, was like the Mardis bike park. <laughs> the best part was when we were we were climbing up to the top of the mountain and all through the forest, all we could hear is woo. Yeah, woo, there was a lot ah, of woo. woo. It's like that Ric yeah. Flair thing. Yeah, woo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got down to the bottom and called it a national treasure. Oh, God, we were all riding high at the bottom of that descent. It was so fun. God, what a day! Unbelievable. And we're going to get more. We're going to get inches more rain before it's over. So hopefully. Yeah, I'm going can... to go on another rum spring. <laughs> another rum spring. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I'd, so it, it's funny you mentioned going back and forth because I hadn't even really thought of that. Like I yeah. did a big, I did a 35 mile e-bike ride yesterday before work. Yeah. And just smashed a lap mm -hmm. from my house and ended up coming down Chimney Beach Trail, which is my favorite trail to ride from, from my house in Incline. Mm -hmm. And it was all time perfect conditions yeah. like sidewalk moist decomposed granite yeah my friend yeah. i i got a good call out from our last podcast where i mentioned moist dg <laughs> and there's been a lot of moist dg happening in my neighborhood so i yeah. I've, i i got the best of it yesterday and then what i think today we rode almost 20 miles or so on on the amish bike yeah and i, I yeah i didn't have any issues going back and forth well, you, and so the other thing that I think has been helping you is that you've been on a, on a dry kick lately, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm totally cool Let's talking tell about me a little that bit one. about that. Yeah. So I haven't had uh, a drink for almost two weeks. Uh huh. Yeah. And for, you know, I'm, you call me the p -p 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 professor of pow <laughs> who likes to have a beer at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely, you know, it's been a big part of my lifestyle owning a restaurant. It's, it's been an, uh, my life, yeah, it's, I'll just say that alcohol has been there for me. Sure. Uh, and my, I'll, I'll give a shout out to my wife. She's hasn't had a, hasn't had any alcohol for almost two and a half years now. So I've been supporting her through that. And, uh, it was time for me to take a step away and take a break. Mm -hmm. And it's been super refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been, I think maybe two or three years since I haven't since I have taken like an extended break from, from drinking because I would drink every night at work. I'd have one, you know, I'm, I am a responsible drinker. Yeah. Uh, except I would say I'm not a responsible drinker when I come off like big, crazy snowboard vendors. Yeah. Uh, because that's such, like, I, I get on such a, it's so st you're just amped. Right? I just, it's yeah. just a, such a flow of adrenaline. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's really prevalent in big wave surfing and, and other adrenaline sports. Yeah. 
And I'll admit to, you know, I'll be the first one to admit that, yeah, when I come off a bender like that, sometimes I'd, I'd like to have some beers and, and it seemed like I thought it was a way to like, just sort of, you know, tamper that high and deal with the, the, the coming off of that high. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know it's not the best thing for me. So yeah, it's, it's been sort of refreshing to take a break from it. And, uh, yeah, I feel great. Like, what are you noticing that, um, is different? Like what, what? you know, that's better. Uh, I, f- for sure, like my sharpness of riding, mm-hmm. like I felt like, you know, I think we brought it up on the pod this year, but I did turn 50. Yeah. And you know, when I, we, we talked about that and I said, oh yeah, I'm not feeling older and I'm not noticing any differences, but I, you know, I think my eyesight's getting a little dull. Mm-hmm. I have to wear glasses at work. And, uh, and I felt like I was just getting a little dull on, on the bike this summer. Yeah. I didn't have like that level of like sort of crispness in yeah. my riding. Yeah. And, uh, and that was the first thing I noticed this, these two weeks is that like that immediately came back. Mm-hmm. Like it was noticed, I noticed it right away and I, and I liked the way that it felt. And so it's inspiring me to, to, to continue not to have a beer at the end of the end of a good ride. Yeah. And, uh, and then I also noticed inflammation. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I think I've, you know, took down some water weight or whatever it is that alcohol does to you. Yeah. It causes inflammation. It, you know, it causes bloating. There's all these other side effects. Uh, so yeah, I, I think those are the two main things that I've noticed. Uh, I'm sleeping way better. Yeah. Uh, I have better, I have better energy and, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with alcohol, but I think it's great to, to throw a break into your mix. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm totally, I totally endorse this one that I'm on. Yeah. Well, good on you for doing that, man. I think thanks, Kurt. I, 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 I take, I take breaks from drinking occasionally. And I think the, maybe the longest I've taken is a month. And I, I wouldn't consider myself a person who has a problem with alcohol. I'm pretty, cause I like to be in control of myself. It's such a part of you the know? lifestyle, but it's part of the lifestyle. It's, 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 it's just, just, it's everywhere, especially mountain biking. Like it's, I don't know. It's almost a cliche anymore when you see like, you know, mountain biking and drinking a beer and it's like this the deeply interconnected relationship. Oh, thank you. Another one, thank Another you. Another one, thank you. Pretty much. And it gets kind of out yeah. of control. I mean, when you're at bike events, you know, like work, you know, worked in the industry and in media and going to these like bike releases and bike events. I mean, it's it's like very alcohol driven and centric. Um, and they put, you know, they integrate it into their marketing and it's like part of the culture. Um, and I think, you know, it's just like anything in life, man, it's moderation. Like you just have to, moderated, but I think there are some people who just can't. Yep. And, um, you know, I have friends who've gone dry. They, they've just quit drinking and what they've said, and they work in the bike industry and they're like, I've lost a lot of friends. Nobody really invites me to parties anymore. Cause they know I don't drink and they think I'm not going to have a good time, which I think is interesting. You know, it's like, hmm. Um, or they just choose not to hang out with them. You know, they're like, I don't, I'm not drinking. They're going to party all night. I'm just going to go home, you know? Yeah, uh, you could still. I had a blast today. Man. Yeah, most, that was the most fun I've had in a long time. Today was the last best couple, day of the year for me. Days. I mean, well, so yeah, like right, like we rode Rim Trail last weekend, and for I don't know why, but I had never ridden Tyrolean. Ten years living here, I've never ridden Tyrolean. I don't understand why. There's no explanation other than there's just a lot of good trails to ride around here. But 
I've ridden it twice in the one in one week. Yeah, it's so freaking fun. And yeah, what'd you think of the of Cam Zink's work? Census Rad Trails, they, uh, on yeah, the, on the upper section that they did, so fun, so yeah. good. I think Hank actually. So who we had on the episode, yeah. um, him and Damon, you know, Hank Wilkins, I think helped build a lot of that stuff. And um, yeah, man, just I, I they just, did a good job. It's it's really hard dirt to work with with what they had up there. Totally, the ingredients were tough. Yeah, absolutely. But it's gotten better with time. Yeah, I, I mean, I prefer the lower bit, that lowermost bit of Tyrolean where it's like rocky and techy, but you're just like mocking down the mountain. I love that kind of riding. And that's kind of like what we were riding on Martis today, just like high speed, technical flow, right? Like rock hits and like drops and stuff. Like yep. I like the natural stuff. Like I'm not against like big jumps and, and tabletops or whatever, but like I like natural features you know when someone can identify a rock or a, a feature like a natural feature and go oh i'm going to turn that into a a jump or a drop or a you know a transition that to me is really cool i love it that it seems like you like to whisper to like the old 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 dirt bike trail totally i i love old school trail it's my favorite kind of trail just yeah. old trail and that's why i think i always love downeyville yep you know, it's just, it, and like grew up in Pennsylvania and West Virginia and learned a mountain bike in West Virginia. And all those trails out there were old school and gnarly and technical, but fun and fast. And that's kind of what, you know, like old trails are like, you know? Yeah. Tyrol. I think Tyrol, AKA it was the, you know, I think they changed the name, but it was originally called the Chinese downhill mm -hmm. or exploring around and, uh, and the, so the other day when we rode, you, you continued, I had to bounce out to work, but you rode then Snapdragon over to Sunflower and you went through that, the old, old Aspen stand that I love so much. Did you see any of the old, uh, carvings? Uh, is that at the bottom of Sunflower or in Red House or it's right there where you cross the Red House flume. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a little, it's right at the bottom of Sunflower. Yeah. I, yeah, I did not see the carvings. Um, I was too busy staring at my fork tubes, but, uh. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of old Basque the old Basque sheep herders carved a bunch of really cool stuff in the trees. It's so pretty there. up there. It's such a cool and the man the wildflowers up on the top of Rim Trail right now are are just fully going off Still because booming. it was a snowfield until about three weeks ago. Yeah, up there at the top of the ridge, there was yeah. some snow hanging around. Man, yeah, we had snow. There's still snow hanging around in Deso. Oh yeah, Mammoth had the longest season ever. Yep. It just kept going and going. They, I think they stayed open all the way into the first week of August. Yeah. Snow in the high Sierra forever. The snow in the high Sierra allowed for a really cool migration. Do you know oh, yeah. about, Tell do me you, about this. Do you one. know about that? No. So this one's dear to me because I did a bunch of work, uh, and my, it's pretty much like the end of my college career at UC Boulder. Uh, it just sort of coincided that my last few years at UC Boulder, I was doing environmental studies as my major. And uh, I ended up taking a field ecology class up in Yellowstone for a summer. Mm -hmm. And it just sort of happened to coincide with the reintroduction of wolves into Yellowstone and parts of Idaho. And then it got me, re I fully got into that whole situation. And, you know, I, I was almost sort of looking at it from an animal, animal rights standpoint in that. I thought that they were making the wrong decision to reintroduce. I understood that they, that the wolves were needed in the ecosystem, mm -hmm. but, uh, there was already an example in Minnesota and also in Northern Michigan where I'm from 
that uh, simply by focusing on education and getting people on board with wolves coming back, that they came back naturally. And you don't need to, you know, you, you didn't need to reintroduce them and, and actually shoot them from a helicopter with a, a dart gun and, and drug them and then transport them and collar them. And, yeah. you know, and in Yellowstone, they did a soft release, which I went up there the next summer and, and looked at the, the statistics of the two different management practices, which was a soft release, which they would pen them thinking that they would sort of like get used to their environment and then they would let them go and they were supposed to stay, <laughs> stay within the confines of the park or within the confines of the greater Yellowstone ecosystem and not go onto ranchers land and get shot. And that's pretty much what they did. And, uh, and in Idaho though, they did a hard release, which are they, they, they took them from Canada, brought them down. As soon as they woke up, they let them run. They let them go. There was no soft, nothing soft about it. And the statistics of those wolves was actually better. Those, those wolves that had a higher, uh, had a less fatality rate. Mm -hmm. Uh, but really in the end, like the best thing that the, anybody could have ever done, which is what I was arguing for, was for natural reintroduction. And, uh, it's, it, this one caught my eye because it, it really sort of screams how that can work. But just in the last few weeks, we've now had a document. It's been, uh, documented, uh, by scat and by DNA and by photos that a wolf pack traversed the high Sierra this spring. And it was a female wolf that came down from Oregon, uh, mated with a male wolf from the Lassen pack. We mm -hmm. have a, one of the first packs in Northern California is in Lassen yep. at Lassen national park. And, uh, they mated and she had a small litter. So I think she has three or four pups and, uh, she, I think probably denned up there for a while. And then is, uh, she basically rode the corn cycle, but yeah, uh, for, to be where she is, she's in Tulare County that way down in the Southern Sierras. So it means that she packed up, you know, she had her litter and she packed up the pups and they traversed the high Sierra this spring. They hiked the PCT. Yeah. They hiked the PCT. And they, and, and the reason why they were able to do it because it, wolves want nothing to do with humans. Yeah. Like that's and there a, are no humans on the PCT. There, there was no humans on the PCT, <laughs> which we've talked about on the show. Yeah. And the, the, really the only people in the high Sierra were like me and like 30 of my friends right. backcountry skiing. Right. And, uh, and they were able to make that move. They moved 200 miles South wow. across the snowpack all the way down there. Did they, they have a time frame on that? Like between when and when? Uh, what, when was it? Uh, I think so. I, I wonder mean, if it was like between sp spring and midsummer or like early summer or cause it happened this year. You're saying, uh, yes. Yeah, so, so it happened. It had, there's the only way that she could have done it wasn't she, she rode the, the corn cycle. Yeah. <clears throat> she right. rode the frozen snow. Yeah. I mean, you, you, she didn't do it in the winter. Right. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> Breaking trail was real this winter. Yeah. Uh, so she waited for the corn cycle and then, you know, made the move South. Yeah. And that snow, I mean, it's set, it's set up. I remember we, you know, doing some early season snow hiking with the bike, the snow set up so hard this year, you could ride over it on a bicycle. I mean, it was like, it wasn't punchy. It was like concrete. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's a really neat thing. I'm, I'm super happy to see it. It's life finds a way. Like I'm just enthralled with, with that species. Uh, they're amazing animals. They're absolutely amazing animals. Yeah. They're so smart. Yeah. Uh, and they're crucial for our ecosystem. Like yeah. we've lost all of our predators in North America Yeah. and they're, they're a pretty essential one. And, and people are afraid that afraid of them. There's, there's never been a documented attack 
of a gray wolf onto a, a person in North America. That species won't attack us. Yeah. Uh, that's not true. Well, people, I was going to say up in like Northern Canada and Alaska, no, there's no, not there's really, no, there's never been an attack. Huh. So they want nothing to do with us. But the dire wolf was a different story. Okay. The dire wolf was in Europe and they were like three times the size of the gray wolf. Gotcha. And that's where the, you know, the stories come from. They were badasses, and you didn't want to mess with the dire wolf, but the, the gray wolf, Canis lupus, they want nothing to do with humans. Huh. Just they just leave us alone. You guys do your thing, we'll do our thing. Well, unless you're a rancher, then you're dealing with them <sighs> well, on a was, daily basis. That's part. That was the educate, you know, educating them, and yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's yeah. Ranchers don't like wolves for sure, but ranchers are also letting their hey, you know, they're making money off public lands. I and there's yeah. all that. You know, I understand I'm not ranchers get into the sagebrush rebellion, but yes. I understand ranchers need to make a living and, and, yep. and that's fine and all. But bottom line is that they've had, they've had, they've had it easy, pretty freaking easy, man. They can let their animals run everywhere and, and, and land management agencies are not holding their feet to the fire on, on right. keeping their stuff in check. Well, and I think that, you know, I think too, that in a lot of the, our forests here in North America, there's, there's plenty of other prey for the, for the gray wolf to find. Yeah. They're not, it's not their first choice to be yeah. around humans and to go after, to go after livestock. Yeah. There's, you know, that's not their thing. That's pretty neat. Yeah. That's, I thought that was a super cool story and I was stoked to share it on the pod. Yeah. Well, it's good to get a little more background into your, uh, your kind of your, yeah, your world and lifestyle in yeah, college my and, college days yeah. it's funny it's like yep. now that i'm 50 i feel like i've led like five lives already all right you know i yeah. used to follow that crazy guy around named jerry garcia that was there was a period of time where i did that too oh yeah yeah and did did it out it's a, my wife is like who were you before i knew you <laughs> Uh, that's what makes you interesting man you have lots of stories to tell yeah thanks uh what else you got buddy you got you got a sendy award for the week i do have a sendy award for the week what you got so today we were riding out at martis and uh and for the first time i this is a person who people have been telling me because we're we have a lot of mutual friends but i've never actually met him in person and a lot of my mutual friends are like, how in the hell do you not know Nate Arnold? <laughs> Nate, Nate dog. dog, dude. That guy is like the encyclopedia of all you're trails. The tra- you're the trail whisperer and he is the trail encyclopedia. Yeah, I, I will I will gladly uh, concede my status as a knower of trails to him. It seems that he knows it all. And so- And he knows like every tree and branch and rock. And yeah. like, you can be lost somewhere in North America and text him. And be like, hey, where do I go to find that one <laughs> like rogue trail? And he's like, and he'll send you like a five word text and be like, and put you on it. That's so funny. He yeah. has that sort of memory. It's wild. Yeah. So we we bumped into him on the trail today, and he was fresh off of a broken neck. So he broke his neck back in May, and uh, he said he got off easy. No surgery required. It was a C seven, and like it was just he needed to not do anything and be immobile. And, um, so it was like his, I don't know if we should be talking about this because if his doctor listens or his wife's going to kill him, <laughs> yeah, he but did, he did he, say, I don't think, I don't think Natalie, I'm going to say it anyway. Cause it was so boss. I don't think Natalie listens to the show, but so it was like his second ride back and, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm just taking it easy. And so we're at the top of, uh, one of the trails and it, 
there's this, you know, there's like a, a small like rock slab entry into this huge, steep rock slab drop, like probably 20 footer at least. And like, you know, full commit, like you cannot like decide at the last minute, you don't want to do this. You have to full commit. And he's, he just sent it. He sent it. And like, I was, I was impressed. I was just like, man, to come off that kind cause like the whole, all day today, cause you know, if, for those that know Martis, like there's some commit lines that you better know what you're doing or you're going to get really hurt. And, you know, we had, you know, Nate out there fresh off a neck injury. Matt Chapel was out there talking about his injury last fall where yeah. he went into a, you know, 30 mile an hour, 30 foot, 25 mile an hour over the bars, something like free fall Superman and broke his chest and and you know Ribs. internal bleeding and Pops the whole line. thing and i'm just hearing all these stories going man i really don't want to do anything that i'm going to regret today i just want to have a good time you know and uh so yeah shout out to nate that was pretty boss i don't know if he listens to mind the track but i was impressed i'll send him a link to the show when, <laughs> when we drop it do you have a send i did that was pretty boss too but i think i'll i, I did see the fastest known time of the Leadville thing go down. Oh yeah. Uh, that was actually really boss. And that when was I read amazing. the story. I don't even, I don't, I can't even remember. I, Keegan I'm, Swenson. I'm not super into racing, but when yeah. I, I did, that story came across my feed and I saw the statistics of it and was just kind of like, Whoa, that was a, that was a monumental shellacking of, of not only the record of Leadville, the fastest time, but of second place, like Keegan beat, I think the record by close to 15 minutes and beat second place by like 25 minutes in a professional bike race, which is, it's well, like people, eclipsing that's a big, that's a big race. That's like usually first and second place is decided by a matter of a minute or two minutes at the most. 25 minutes is just like he literally, literally he took a shower and had a couple beers he, and he rode away with it. it. It was crazy. And it was, there was a huge plan around it. And, you know, one of the, um, another friend of mine, Jonathan Lee, who um, works for Trainer Road in Reno, helped Keegan build that program to beat that. That was the plan. The plan was we're going to beat the record and we're going to go big. And Keegan, I think just went even bigger than anyone could have ever imagined. So yeah, that was a huge, I mean, it's a, it was a monumental effort. It was, I don't want to take away. Like I always joke have you ever about, rate, did you ever do that race? I don't, it's a dirt fondo, dude. I don't, I, <laughs> I, I mean, if you can do it on a bike with drop bars, like, Is I that don't what, know, like you can do it with drop bars. Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, people have done it. I don't know. It, I don't want to take away from the difficulty of that event. Leadville is a hard event, but it's hard because it's at altitude. It's mm -hmm. at, you know, Leadville's at 10,000 feet, the town. You climb to 14,000 feet. Yeah, it's the highest town It's in North really America. difficult for that reason. But the trail and the track itself, it's just an out and back. Literally, you ride out to the top of a mountain, you turn around and you come back and you're literally riding against oncoming traffic on the way back. It's just an out and back. And it's not particularly, it's, it's I don't know, it's just, it's caught a lot of attention and it's like this kind of bucket list must do thing that a lot of people want to do. But hmm. in my, in, in my, in my opinion, like a real mountain bike event is like the Breck Epic. If you want to do a, a, a real mountain bike race in Colorado, Breck Epic is your event. 
hmm. not Leadville. But I don't want to take away from the achievement of what Keegan pulled off. That was mind blowing. Is the does the out and back go out of Leadville and over to Aspen and then back? No, not to Aspen. It just it it runs down like the Arkansas kind of like parallels the Arkansas River Valley a little bit and then like climbs up like crosses I think it's like called Twin Lakes out towards yeah. Twin Lakes yeah. on the backside of Independence Pass. I've skied out that way. Yeah, That's and then it climbs up towards, there. there's a 14,000 foot peak up there. Yeah. I don't know what the name of the mountain is, but they climb basically to the top of that and then okay. turn around and come back. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Mount Mount Albert. It's right near there. So it's, yeah, it's the, right near there. Yep. Mount right next Massive to and Mount Albert are the two 14ers on the north side of that pass. Yep. I actually skied that with, with my buddy Corey a few years ago on Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo. And we slayed pal from the summit, dude. It was oh, so good. Wow. We got we got Albert from from the summit. We skied in the boxcar shoots. Nice. And and skied from the highest point in Colorado in Pow. That was a good one. And then I'll give a shout out one the day before we skied a mountain for my aunt who uh, we are in this house is very oh very cool special because uh, hope my aunt hope you know had a big part uh, to my family having this place mm-hmm. and uh, that trip I was out in Colorado just trying to slay some peaks and and bag some good lines and uh, we had picked up the book bought the like you know the, the like we have the East side Bible here on, in the mm-hmm. Eastern Sierras, but there's a good Colorado book. And, uh, we were driving up from Telluride and Corey was flipping through the book being like, you know, Hey, what do you want to ski next? And he ended up flipping to a, a page that had Mount Hope on it. And it had this like 3000 foot Northeast Coulard coming right off the summit of the thing. And it's just under 14. Mm-hmm. It's like 13, eight, nine, seven. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this is a cool story. So we, we were driving along in the car, coming back from coming from Telluride back up to that zone, and uh, he he sort of picked that line out and showed it to me, and I was like, "That's it, let's go ski that." And uh, we drove up to the base of it, slept there, woke up at three thirty the next morning, and it was like nuking rain, snowing really hard. It was not the day, so we packed up, drove up to Summit County, and shredded. Had a super shreddy day at A Basin. And then uh, did some nostalgic laps for me. We ended up uh, uh, doing some laps on Loveland Pass, mm-hmm. which was kind of where I got like one of my first intros into doing backcountry in college. Uh, was a lap in Loveland Pass, mm-hmm. and uh, we sprinkled some ashes on my dogs. That was a big part of that trip. Is that we were putting my two dogs, my Colorado dogs, to rest in Colorado, mm-hmm. and uh, we we ended up skiing up in Summit County that day, and then packed up, drove back through Leadville. Got some supplies and went back down to the bottom of the trailhead, slept again, woke up at 3.30 and was sent that thing. Oh, you got it. We got it. That's wow. cool. And we went up hope. And uh, Don't it, give up. Yeah, don't give don't up. Don't give up hope. <laughs> so it was super cool. Yeah. It was super emotional. And uh, I felt like her spirit was there with us. It was really like sort of a moody day, like really sort of cool, misty cloud. You know, I'm a light chaser, so I'm always super yeah. into whenever like the mountains provide that sort of light experience. Mm-hmm. And that day was it. And, uh, you know, I felt her spirit up there and we summited hope and slayed pow and, oh man, it was, it was a good one. Nice. So yeah, and we're, we're sitting here in, in hope's cabin. Very cool. I yeah. Thanks that. for letting me tell that story. Yeah. That was a good one. It's a good memory. Yeah. Well, another shout out I wanted to actually give, cause we're going to, I think, come to a close here, keep this to a reasonable time, but, um, I wanted to shout out to, um, our friend, Matt Garrett, who we met in Downeyville 
uh, mm-hmm. yep. a few weeks before the race, and he ended up breaking his leg on the Sunday downhill day. He uh, he sent us a message and just said, "Hey, just wanted to let you know, you know, I'm doing all right. I got a big rod in my leg and a bunch of hardware, but feeling better every day, and uh, on the mend. So glad to hear that, Matt. Continue yeah. the recovery." Before sure. you know it, he's going to be sending big rock rolls like Nate, like Nate. Dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fresh on the bike and, and going big again. So, you know, keep riding hard and taking chances, Matt. And I hope to see you on the trail again soon, man. Yeah. Nice. And keep up, keep up the messages. Yeah. yeah I mentioned that one. We've been getting some good feedback, some, some nice reach outs, some, you know, we're, you know, this is a passion project for Kurt and I so far. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's really nice to hear good, positive feedback and keep, keep them coming. Yeah. And if you have, you know, we were talking about pro tips earlier about, you know, do you wash your bike or do you ride dirty? Yeah. Uh, I want to know. Do, do drop you... us a line. Let us know. Like when you're, as you're listening to this, if you got your phone handy, just DM us or whatever, and just tell us your philosophy on it, whether you clean your bike or keep it, you know, keep it dirty. I like it. Cause I'd like to know. There, there may be some philosophy or other school of practice out there. You know, I used to show up to the trailhead with a super clean spiffy bike. Nowadays I show up to the trailhead and my bikes aren't just beat, beat to hell. Like I've, you know, I dumped it so many times or like, you know, when we go shuttling, you know, I throw my bike in the back of the shuttle and some people are super paranoid. They're like, I can't scratch. The, I, do you have any, you know, ship like moving blankets or any packaging or foam i'm like just throw it's a mountain bike dude don't throw mine back there i don't care if it gets scratched it's already scratched the hell i don't care <laughs> that's one of the upsides right of having yeah. a scratched up bike you don't you're not as like paranoid about it getting scratched so yeah, yeah. let us know do you do you ride it dirty you ride it dirty or you keep it polished does it look like it just came out of a, a photo shoot but yeah that's uh i think we're gonna keep it to that unless you have anything else you wanted to add i'm good good it's been a good catch up was a really fun fun day today been a really fun week of riding yeah look forward to to what's gonna you know happen this week with tahoe getting another little deluge from hurricane hillary yeah yeah and and i'm praying that everybody in socal does okay in the desert yeah i'm keeping a close eye on that because i have a feeling we're going to see, unfortunately, some carnage, but fingers crossed that maybe it doesn't. I think play it's out. really just going to be the burn scars. Yeah, some for burn sure. scars and some some flash flooding. Yeah, but hopefully everyone's all right and they can enjoy their brown pow in their neighborhood. That's right, brown pow. Let's get some more of it. Thanks for listening to episode number eighteen of Mind the Track. Until next time, get out there, get deep, and put your mind in the track.